20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. A victory Monday, if you will, even though it was a very interesting game on Sunday. Of course, I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Yes, the Packers find a way, find some way to win against the worst team in football. 33-30, a win against the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. Yes, they allowed 30 points. We are going to get into all of that, and trust me, We have a lot to go over specifically on the defensive side of the ball, but in the spirit of Christmas, let's start with something positive. Let's start with the offense today. We will get through everything. I think this is the most notes I've ever had for a post-game show. There's a lot to go over, but like I said, let's start positive. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball because there was plenty to take away from an offensive performance that included another really impressive day from Jordan Love. 33 points. And let me just even pause right there and say, while Carolina is a unequivocally bad football team, their defense is actually pretty good and has some very talented players on it. And I thought Green Bay navigated this game extremely well, a little bit tougher in the second half. Uh, Evero made some adjustments and I don't think Green Bay was quite as quick to sort of counter those adjustments in the second half, but they still get 10 points in the second half, 23 in the first half. They got the field goal drive at the end when they needed it to take the lead. I think there's a lot of positives there as well. You get the game-winning field goal drive driven down by Jordan Love, uh, another opportunity for him to go down and try to win the game, and he did so barely. Thankfully, they took one more second off the clock. We'll talk about that as well. The Romeo Dobbs play is a really interesting play uh, along the sidelines and whether or not he completed the catch or not. I know Adam Thielen wasn't too happy about that call. It is so bang, bang, both in real time and in slow motion. I can see arguments for both ways. As I said in the live post game show, I expected it to get overturned. I was not shocked that it stood as called on the field. I think if it would have been called incomplete on the field, it also would have stood. They're just not really quick to reverse those calls unless it's something clear and obvious. I do think that there was a time element to that where it looked like he caught it stopped the play was like you could have ended the play right there and then the ball comes out I think if you look at the pool report and their definition and I'm not going to read the whole definition because it's not even worth your time because no one understands exactly what a catch is anyway in the modern NFL I don't like the pool report response it felt it was it was just weird and I don't I, I think based on that they actually probably could have and maybe even should have overturned it but like I said that that's an interesting one Jordan underthrew that ball a little bit. Romeo did a great job of going up and going and getting it. Probably needs to secure it a little bit quicker. And then, of course, just maintain control as he goes to the ground. I don't know. Like like I said, I, I'm not shocked that it was that it stood as called, but I sort of expected it when it happened. And that that's a that's a massive, mass, you know, massive call in that game. And you look at what that could have meant for Green Bay. They could have been basically eliminated from playoff contention. It could have got Carolina a win, which would have been interesting with some of the number one pick scenarios. Like there was a lot on the line with that particular call. And it's not necessarily to say that Green Bay doesn't punt away. And I know this sounds very funny to say, even as I'm saying it, maybe maybe Green Bay could have gotten a stop and got the vote. Let's just say it as it is. If that's not a complete pass, Green Bay probably loses that game based on the way the defense was playing. 
That's a massive, massive call in that game. But a gutsy throw by Jordan. While it was a little bit underthrown, he put it in a spot that Romeo could go get it. Romeo did go get it. And then, you know, your mileage may vary as to whether or not that was a completion or not, but they called it one and they still go down. They, the, you know, thread the needle to Tucker Craft and he gets the great yards after the catch. They run a few times at the end. They run to Jones. And it sounds like Jones got a little bit beat up on that play or needed a breather after that play. So Patrick Taylor comes in. I think Patrick Taylor's the right call with two plays left. And if you're going to call two runs, you don't want to go with a guy that's got a broken thumb and maybe ball security might be a little bit of an issue. So I think going with Taylor over Dylan is smart now knowing that Jones is out of the game because he either needed a breather or got a little bit banged up on that first run. So they give it to Taylor two more times. And they are willing to run out the clock and and take the field goal attempt, which of course Anders made. And thankfully, there was 19 seconds on the clock remaining and not 20 seconds on the clock left remaining. Because if there were one more second on the clock, I think we all know what would have happened from there on out. At least Carolina would have tied the game at the end. Um, Obviously, Jordan Love, 17 of 28, 219 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, plus a rushing touchdown. Another awesome performance by him. We'll go over him in a little bit more uh, detail in just a moment here. Aaron Jones, 21 carries, 127 yards, six-yard average, one catch, eight yards. Very impressive performance from Aaron Jones. First time a wide receiver or running back has gone over 100 yards on the season for Green Bay. Romeo Dobbs, four catches, 79 yards and a touchdown. He did have a fumble, thankfully recovered by Josiah DeGuara, but overall, the big catch at the end, the touchdown catch, um, big run, you know, catch and run after, although he, again, he did fumble on the play, but I thought overall he had a very consistent, solid day from, from Dobbs. Tucker Craft, four catches, 60 yards. Please, Tucker, stop trying to jump over people. Uh, I joked on Twitter, we may never see a Tucker Craft Jr. if this continues. So please be a little bit more careful uh, in those sort of situations. But man, is he a joy to watch and just brings the energy and the intensity. You know, we talk all the time about playing the game the right way and kind of going about it. Just Tucker Craft, he just oozes that. And Matt LaFleur had a ton of positive things to say about him again after the game. He is really coming into his own. He is becoming a well-rounded tight end right before our eyes. And just like I said, a absolute joy to watch out on the field. Then how about Bo Melton coming up with four catches, 44 yards, elevated off the practice squad, had a rush, I think maybe seven or eight yards on that rushing attempt as well. Those are the the plays that are, you know, just the, the type of players that you love to see come in and make an impact off the practice squad. And I mentioned on the pregame show yesterday that he caught my eye just watching him a week ago and just some of his explosive ability. I thought on that crossing route where Jordan Love kind of faded back and through Uh, I thought you saw some of the just speed, the unadulterated speed across the middle. And then he made a a little bit of a contested catch towards the end there too. Had the deep uh, comeback route that they've been running a lot this season. And they trusted him to run that route and he ran it perfectly, went up and got the pass, came down with it. That was a big play. Just a, a really fun player. And I think we saw some of the things that Bo Melton is capable of in this game. It'll be really interesting if they make a move. It's clear and obvious that they have Bo Melton ahead of Samore Touré at this point, just not on the roster. Samore's on the 53, Bo Melton's on the practice squad. I think with this being on tape for Bo Melton, you might want to protect him and make sure that he does not get signed by another team. I think that's probably not what you want to happen. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily need to release Samore Touré, but that could be one option dependent upon maybe where some of those injuries are at with wide receiver this week. But impressive from Bo Melton. And then I really want to shout out the Packers offensive line as well. Only one sack allowed on the day, only two quarterback hits. 
They helped the the rushing attack go for 162 yards on the ground, again, including 127 from Aaron Jones. I thought, and we'll see what the All-22 shows as we get through this week, but I thought this was a very consistent performance from the offensive line. Now, a lot of Jones's explosive plays were earlier in the game, and it didn't seem like the running game had maybe quite that oomph as the, the rest of the game went along but I still thought this was an impressive performance. Like I said on the pregame show, you still have Brian Burns and Derek Brown. Frankie Luvu, we saw the impact that he can make as a blitzer and as a tackler and just as an impact guy. I think he was the guy that forced the fumble as well. They've got those guys in their front seven that can beat you. I thought they did a really nice job all day long, one through five, you know, right from left to right. We'll see how it plays out and who grades well through the course of the week. But uh, first glance and on rewatch, I thought the offensive line was really impressive. Jordan did not have a ton of pressure, had the opportunity to navigate the pocket. And even the sack by Luvu was not on the offensive line. It, that That's a, a play where you're going play action and the running back's the one that's responsible to pick up the, the blitzing linebacker. Jones needs to abort the play action to go get the linebacker, but based on how the play got set up, like he's stuck behind Jordan. And by the time he got there, the play was just over. And it's a great play by Carolina's defense, but that play was not on the offensive line either. So I thought the offensive line was really, really impressive. Jordan continued to be impressive. Awesome to see Aaron Jones back. And then of course, all of those young playmakers, even without, and this is the insane thing, right? For this offense, no Christian Watson, no uh, Jaden Reed. Dontavian Wicks goes out halfway through the game. You're on reserves. No Luke Musgrave. We know no David Bakhtiari. You're, you know, Aaron Jones is just getting his feet back under him after injury. A.J. Dillon's playing with a broken thumb. There's a lot that could potentially uh, go wrong when you're without all of those playmakers and they still find a way to put up 33 points on offense. As awful as a day this was for the Packers defense and not a great day for the special teams either. This offense continues to impress. And while you can argue maybe the team as a whole deserve a win, I, I, whatever, the offense deserved this a ton and deserves a ton of credit for their performance out on the field, especially dragging the carcass of the defense along with them past the finish line into uh, a victory Monday, all on the back of an offense that's more beat up than any other group on this entire team. All right, two players that I wanted to expound upon a little bit more on offense. The first is Aaron Jones. And we mentioned awesome game, 21 carries, 127 yards, six yard average, one catch, eight yards. This offense is different when Aaron is in the game. And I'm, I know I'm not breaking any news by saying that. You can tell if this offense had that version of Aaron Jones all season long, that he didn't have to deal with a ton of the injuries. I think they win some of those games earlier in the year that were close. He just opens up so many different things, and it's just a totally different playmaker for this group. When they were struggling at the beginning of the year to kind of find that rhythm and consistency, if they would have been able to have him, I do think it changes a lot, and especially in some of those losses earlier in the season. And who knows? Maybe some of the chemistry with Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks and some of those guys came along quicker, Musgrave and Kraft, because they didn't have to lean on Aaron Jones. Maybe that put more pressure on Jordan Love, and maybe that's exactly what he needed to take that next step. I'm not saying I would necessarily change anything at this point, but you can see the, the first game against Chicago when he got this level of touches and, and before he went down with the injury in that game, this offense looked explosive and dynamic. And in this game, with him in the lineup as more of a full-time guy, 
He had 21 carries. He had three targets. So 24 total touches and targets in that, that game, which is a perfect amount for Aaron Jones at this stage of his career. It just makes the offense go. It is the engine of this offense. And now you've got a one-two punch with Jordan, what he's able to do at quarterback right now, and what Aaron Jones can bring to the game as a playmaker by simple stuff, right? Just handing him the football. It's not. It doesn't have to be exotic. The screen game still isn't great. He doesn't have to catch it on a wheel route down the field. It's just him making plays, having the great vision to see how those holes are going to open up, stiff-arming people into oblivion, and just using his agility to get to the spot that he needs to to get through that hole and make an impact play. It is such a difference maker, and I think he did a really great job of just kind of reminding everyone, hey, I'm still really good at football, and hey, you probably still want me on this team next year, even though he's got an interesting contract situation. But awesome to see Aaron Jones run with that intensity and just kind of feel like he's finally, finally back and in this offense for good now. Um, Jordan Love's the other one on offense I wanted to touch base on not specifically just because of this game. And this game was another really great day. Again, the rushing touchdown he's got. He, the, the, the play that I love is the touchdown to Romeo Dobbs. And the reason that I love that play is because it's basically the exact same throw he misses to Jaden Reed a week ago. Remember last week, I'm telling you about the throw that he missed to Samore Toure in the back of the end zone on kind of a play where he steps up in the pocket, rolls to his right, misses Toure just by a half of a fraction Throws him a little bit too wide. Toure can't get his feet down and it's incomplete. They have to settle for a field goal. A week later, steps up in the pocket, rolls to his right. Jaden Reed, same exact scenario, puts it on him. Reed does a phenomenal job of getting the feet down and we see him improve on that throw one week over the next. Last week uh, against the Buccaneers, Jaden Reed, a little quick out, fourth down. He's got a touchdown right there. Throws it wide, doesn't give Reed a chance at it at all and it's incomplete. This time, I think it was a third down. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but I think it was a third down. They Dobbs motions, goes to the uh, out again, has him open for a touchdown, and just hits him right in stride. And to see him really watch watch him learn and grow in real time is just so fun. And there was a clearly uh, the, the touchdown to Dontavian Wicks was another great play. As I mentioned, the throw to Dobbs at the end was a little bit underthrown, but still uh, put, puts it in a spot where Dobbs can go get it threads the needle to Tucker Craft on that final drive. Just a really impressive day from Jordan. On the season now, this is his season stats. 321 completions on 514 attempts. He's now up to 62.5% completion percentage. Remember, that was below 60 earlier in the season. 3,587 yards, 27 touchdowns, 11 picks, and a 91.8 rating in his first season as a starter. How about this though? In his last five games, 128 of 186, 68.8% completion percentage, 1,359 yards, 11 passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, one interception, 108.2 passer rating. Unbelievable stuff. And as you have heard me say all week long, and maybe even for two weeks now, and I know you're sick of it, but doing this in your first year with all the volatility and youth on offense, with an offensive line that didn't gel till about midway through the year, with a defense that's atrocious, with a special teams that sucks, to do all of this and put the team on his back and really get them to seven wins now on the season with two games to go, playoff chances still alive. Unbelievably impressive from Jordan Love. I, I mean, how could you possibly 
think anything could have gone better than how this season has gone this year. I, I don't think, I think this is like almost the single best case scenario, given the circumstances for what he was asked to do in his first year as a starter. I mean, anything else would have just been otherworldly absurd. He's playing awesome football this season, has earned that franchise quarterback spot, and will certainly get that that huge contract in the offseason if the next two games are even remotely okay games and there's no reason for concern after those. Even if they're not, I don't know how you could counterfeit what he's put on tape already all throughout this season. Just a really, really awesome year. And we'll just say it. We'll say it like we've been saying it all season long. 1A on the to-do list was this. Everything else, like I shouldn't even say it. 1A on the to-do list was not Jordan Love. The entire to-do list was Jordan Love. There was no other list. Nothing else on the list almost remotely mattered besides Jordan Love. And to the extent of, it wasn't even at at the beginning of like, make this guy great. It was like, get the evaluation on Jordan. Can he be the starter? Is there at least a chance he can be the starter? To get that evaluation and it come back with flying colors, whew, that take throw the defensive crap out the window. That continues to be the biggest entire story on this season is the way that Jordan is playing. He's progressing. He's getting better. And that's a scary thought when, he, again, every single week he goes out there, he seems to be progressing in real time. It's really, really fun from Jordan right now. And he deserves, like I said, so much freaking credit. All right. All right, let's talk Packers defense. I will start because again, I'm I'm in a great mood. <laughs> I don't know why after that game, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start with something positive once again on the ground for Carolina. 25 carries, 96 yards, 3.8 yard average. Chuba Hubbard and and Miles Sanders, 19 carries, 46 yards, 2.4 yard average. They actually showed up on the traditional running game and stopped the run on the day. That's a positive. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday, and then you can get ready for football and fun. Choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings you crave. Either way, you win. For me, I have the same order every single time. I'm going with their hot and ready pizza, pepperoni, no questions about it, and more importantly than anything else, always, 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 always get the crazy bread. It is in my opinion, the best food that you can get on the market. I'm not joking. I love crazy bread. Love, love, love crazy bread. Get it every single time. You win when you get crazy bread. And speaking of winning, literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. When you have a 365 day a year podcast, you need to have the energy and the health to be able to provide that content every single day of the year. When I'm not feeling the best, whether that be due to illness, gut health, or low energy, it's hard to focus and it's hard to be efficient with my work. Everything is just slower and everything becomes such a grind. That's why I started drinking AG1 daily. When I started drinking AG1, I could legitimately feel a difference in my energy and I noticed I was becoming sick far less often. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. 
Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because AG1 has a team of doctors and scientists and because it is formulated based on the latest science while maintaining their high quality standards. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This year, our family had a few different ways that we did gifts for the holidays. We did some traditional presents, we donated to a variety of charities, and we planned a fun trip for the entire family. Of course, I may have snuck a gift for myself in there during the process as well, but whether or not your family gives gifts during the holidays, you still get to define how you give to yourself. A great way to do that is by giving yourself the gift of therapy. Therapy is powerful. It works and strives to make us the best versions of ourselves and work out the kinks of the everyday daily grind that can continue to beat us down. And during the holiday season, it's really easy to become unaligned with all the regular daily stress, plus the rigors and anxiety that come with the holiday season. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. My favorite part about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online, which makes things so incredibly convenient, and that it's flexible and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Packaday. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the rest. All right, Bryce Young, 23 of 36, 312 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 110.0 passer rating. The Packers got to him twice on the day, two sacks, zero turnovers, of course, we know the Panthers put up 30 points of offense, 394 total yards of offense, four total touchdowns, and the only thing that saved the Packers from being embarrassed even more was the fact that they didn't have one more second on the clock or maybe just a little bit more time to go down and really put the dagger in and score the game-winning touchdown because the way it was going, it probably would have only taken one or two more plays if they were granted that. Fortunately, Green Bay's offense took enough time off the clock Um you know, to not allow them that opportunity, but it was disgustingly comical how easy it was for a rookie quarterback with a awful offense to just drive down the field. They were down by two scores with like 12 minutes left in the game, two touchdowns with two, like 12 minutes left in the game. They easily score both of those touchdowns. They're driving down to get the the game tying field goal. Like I said, maybe even more if they had like 15 more seconds and just, they didn't have more time. The only thing that saved this defense from being even more embarrassed was there just wasn't enough time. That That's the only saving grace. Wasn't anything the defense did. Wasn't a play that they made. The Panthers simply ran out of time. Here's the really good stuff. Here's the really good stuff from this defensive performance. The Panthers did not score a single touchdown in their past two games. In their last two games, they scored zero touchdowns. They scored four against the Packers on Sunday. Do you know how many games it took for them to score their last four touchdowns? In their last five games combined, they scored four total touchdowns. In their last five games combined, the Panthers scored four total touchdowns. They scored four in the final three quarters of this game against the Packers. What took five games against five totally different defenses 
It took three quarters against Joe Barry's defense. The Panthers had two touchdowns in their last 13 quarters coming into this game. The Panthers' most points that they had all season was in week three with 27 points. Green Bay allowed 30. This was their last eight games and how much the Carolina Panthers scored in those eight games. 15 points, 13 points, 13 points, 10 points, 10 points, 18 points, 6 points, 9 points. They had not scored over 18 points in their last eight games. They scored 15 points combined in their last two games. Carolina doubled that in this one game against Joe Barry's defense. It was Bryce Young's first career 300-yard passing game. And per Alicia Tversky, these are his stats that he posted on Twitter, the 30 points for Carolina, as we just mentioned, were a season high. The 394 yards of offense were a season high for the Panthers. The 298 passing yards, total passing yards that takes out the sacks, were the most this season that they've had with Bryce Young at quarterback. The 26 first downs were a season high for the Panthers. The five plays that they had of 20 plus yards were a season high for the Panthers. The zero turnovers the Packers got were, of course, tied for the fewest amount of turnovers. And the two sacks that Carolina allowed was the second fewest amount of sacks that they allowed on the entire season. So it was their best point performance, their best uh, yardage performance, their best passing yardage performance with Bryce Young, their best first down performance, their best big play performance, their fewest turnovers, and their second fewest sacks. There you go. Joe Barry's defense. Also, they had to burn a timeout because they had 12 players on the field at one point, Green Bay's defense, that is. They could not defend a fourth and one quarterback sneak because they had an entire gap right next to the quarterback that was completely uncovered. They're just fourth and one. Well, just Yeah, you can have that. That's fine. Missed tackles, failed contain multiple times throughout the course of the game. In a series of three weeks, when you gave up an awful performance against Tommy DeVito and the Giants. Baker Mayfield had a perfect passer rating last week at Lambeau Field, including four touchdown passes. And with those two in the most recent memory, this was still a worse defensive performance than either of those two. And that is saying a lot. And the only reason that the defense got off the field early in this game, more often than not, was because Bryce Young just missed easy throws. He's got Adam Thielen wide open on one of the big third downs, and he just misses him. There's another play down the left sideline where he just misses. There's a running back in the flat that he just misses. The only reason that this defense actually did something early wasn't because they did something well. It was because the Panthers just could not complete easy passes, and specifically Bryce Young could not throw accurate balls early in the game. Once he fixed that, and once he found his accuracy... He just tore this Packers defense apart, something that he and the Carolina offense could not do all season long against any opponent. And that, of course, brings us to Joe Barry. I mentioned last week, I, it was time for the Joe Barry era to end. And I said that for a couple of reasons. I said that because A, it is. B, because I don't like, I, I, it would have been probably a bit more clickbaity uh, if my title was, it's time to fire Joe Barry. I just, I hate that connotation. I don't like cheering or rooting for somebody to get fired. But I am sorry. It is time to fire Joe Barry. There is no other way around it. And 
the only argument that people have made is like, well, they don't have another person on staff. I don't care. I, okay, here, let's put it this way. The first thing I will say is there is not an argument that anyone can make, and I don't care how you try. There is no way to spin this to say it is in the best interest of the Green Bay Packers to keep Joe Barry at this point. There is nothing that you can point to that there's nothing they do well. There is absolutely 0.0 things that they do well as a defense on this season. Not stop the run, not stop the pass, not get turnovers, not give up big explosive plays. There is absolutely nothing. The next thing I will say is this coordinator with these players do not work. It's done. It's over. It will not work. It did not work. It cannot work. These players with this coordinator is broken. It is dead, broken, over, game over, finished, finite, whatever you want to say. It's over. And with two games left and the playoffs still a possibility, you can't change out all the players. You can change out the coordinator. Now, whether that's Greg Williams the passing game coordinator. I don't feel great about a passing game coordinator with a, a group of players that can't communicate on the back end, but all right, maybe it's him. Maybe it's Kirk Olavadati. Now, I don't necessarily care for promoting the guy who can't get his inside linebackers to play well all season long, but maybe it's him. Maybe it's Ryan Downard, the defensive backs coach. That's a possibility. And he focuses a little bit more, I think, on safeties and the safeties have been bad, but mostly because they're bad players. I, I don't know. Maybe it's Steve from Menasha. Maybe it's most hated Minnesotan, one of our favorite YouTube members here. I don't care at this point. I do not care who it is. You have to make the change. You have to make the call. The, the biggest reason, like I said, is it's broken. It's done. There's nothing you can do to fix that group coordinator plus defensive players, and you can't change the defensive players. You can change one or two out here or there. They've mostly done that. You're, you're like They've tried all the safeties. They've tried basically all the corners. They've tried basically all the inside linebackers. Maybe you could try Eric Wilson. I don't know, but you've basically tried all the inside linebackers. They rotate in all the outside linebackers, not named Brenton Cox, and they rotate in all five defensive linemen. There's not any player left to try. I guess you could try Brenton Cox and Eric Wilson. I don't think that's going to change much. That's like the only two players you have left to really try. I guess Zane Anderson. I, I don't think rolling out, if that's your change this week, if you had to give me the choice between, hey, we can either go with a different play caller or we can go with Zane Anderson, Eric Wilson, and Brenton Cox a little bit more, to give me the give me the coordinator. You just can't change out the players at this point. And you know it's a foregone conclusion. It, it, I, like It's a foregone conclusion. He's gone in two weeks. So why the heck not? Why the heck not? It like the thing is, and you might say, well, like why throw one of these young defense? Like let's say it's Greg Williams, right? Why throw him? To Do you think for a second that Greg Williams isn't thinking while he's watching this go on that he couldn't call a better game than what's going on right now? It, put yourself in one of the the coach's shoes and you see how this defense is performing every week. You are not worth your weight in salt if you don't think that you could do better. I I would hope that you watching this feel like you could do better. You couldn't probably, but. I would hope that even you feel that way. And that, I mean, to me, give give somebody a chance. Let somebody be more aggressive. Let, let them do something. You have seen this song and dance for three years. It doesn't work. It does not work. Try something different. There is no downside. There is 0.0% downside to trying something different with two games left. That's it. 
And like I said, if you would like to try to make an argument for why to keep him, you cannot. For what? Consistency of what? Being the worst defense in football? I don't get it. Uh, and well, I, I doubt that they're actually going to fire him with two game, you know, two games left on Christmas Day. I, I don't know how you can defend that decision. And it, and you might say, well, like, uh, well, it's Christmas Day, and what? He had an extra season that he probably shouldn't have gotten. They should have gone in a different direction this past off season. They did not. He got another chance. He should have been let go after the Tampa Bay game. They didn't. He got another chance. How many chances are you going to give the same coordinator? By the way, he got another chance as a coordinator after being one of the worst defensive coordinators in the history of football in his previous two stints and his previous two jobs. He has gotten chance after chance after chance after chance. It's just not good enough. And from a human element, I am 1 million percent hope that he and his family land on their feet somewhere and they go out and crush it. No questions about it. I don't wish for anyone to lose their job or to, you know, to crap on anyone when they're down. That's just not what I want it to be. But this is a business. It is a results-oriented business. And this guy has gotten more chances than almost anyone. And he has failed at all of them. As sucky as that sounds, as cruel and, you know, whatever, it's just reality at this point. So I don't know what argument can be made to not make a change. And it is time for Matt to simply make that decision. Let somebody else have an opportunity. I refuse to believe that it can get worse. Now, maybe it does not get better. I, th- I do not think that this is, if you took, I said this on the, the post-game live chat as well. If you took all the defenses in the league and gave them all the same exact defensive coordinator, all the same exact system, all the same exact coaching staff, Everything was apples to apples except the talent on the field. I do not think this is a top 16, top half of the league defense. I think they're probably around 20th. Maybe they're around 25th. They're not 32nd. And maybe they're still 30th or 31st in DVOA, whatever. Over their last month plus, they are the worst. There's not a worse defense in football during that time frame. They're not that bad. Like I said, I don't think it's that great but I don't think it's anywhere near that bad. It is time to try something different for the final two weeks. Whether that happens, probably not. Do I expect it to happen? No. Should it happen? Unequivocally, yes, at this point. Uh, Let's talk about special teams really quick. I think I've made my point with the defense. Uh, You had the early penalty, um, obviously on the, the punt. You know, whether it's a soft call or not, maybe you could get away with that being running into the kicker. You just, why are, why are you rushing the punter in that situation where you're going to get the ball back with great field position? And it just, it was felt like such a dumb situation to have that penalty in the missed extra point. Don't blame Anders on that one. That was a high snap, a bad hold. And it's just, it was not a great process. So I'm willing to give Anders some forgiveness on that one. Uh, couldn't get lined up on the 52 yard field goal by the Panthers. Devontae Wyatt's running on the field, off the field, doesn't know what to do. There's not a guy on the field and he's offsides, you know, when the ball is snapped so that if they miss a 52 yard field goal, you now give them another chance from 47. He made it anyway. But those are the dumb things that kind of continue to keep happening on special teams. I will say it was uh, the missed extra point. Like I said, not Anders' fault. 
game-winning field goal for Anders, 50-plus yard field goal from Anders. I thought that was a pretty clutch day from him overall. Could he maybe power through an extra point even without a perfect process? Maybe, but um, that's on the long snapper specifically um, with the holder not being able to get it turned as a really, really high snap on that particular play. Don't put the fault on Anders. I thought he had a really nice day. The rest of the special teams still has a lot to clean up. All right, let's talk about some more miscellaneous stuff that went into this game. End of game situation, 19 seconds left. They get the big completion and out of bounds, which is a cardinal sin in that situation. You're willing to give a play over the middle. You cannot allow a completion and getting out of bounds. It's another big blown play by Keyshawn Nixon in coverage, which has been a theme throughout this season outside of the Chiefs game, where of course he was the hero, deservedly so. He got an awesome interception on that play. But this has been happening a lot for Keyshawn over the course of the year. Can't happen. And then the the play at the end over the middle, I mean, like I said, you're lucky they don't have one more second. They did get that right. You know, I maybe I think they probably get the ball snapped, but the ball is spiked with zero seconds on the clock. So they eventually got that right. I was not confident they were going to, but they did. And I know there was some, you know, maybe frustration or confusion, but you can snap the ball with like 0.01 seconds left. But that doesn't mean once you spike it that you get another play because that play has to run. Um, they probably should, in hindsight, should have just ran the play if they got the play off, knowing that they weren't going to get the spike down in time. Who knows what would have happened in that crazy carnival scenario, especially with the Packers defense. But thankfully, they tried to spike it. It was the correct call. No time left. And Green Bay escaped with the win. All right, I want to talk the Jair Alexander situation. As far as his play on the field, look like some good, some bad. I'm going to wait until I see the all 22 to make much commentary on that. Obviously great to have him back on the field in any capacity. Had the really awful play on the reverse touchdown where Rashawn Gary gets caught, you know, inside again, does not keep contain. And then Anthony Johnson Jr. and Keyshawn Nixon get blocked, blocked by one person. Um, and then Jair comes in and basically just like shoves the guy into the end zone rather than trying to make a tackle. I get the shoulder situation, but those are the sort of plays that have been on tape for Jair for a while now in any sort of tackling or run defense situation. But I want to talk about the beginning of the game. Maybe this is a nothing burger. I know I saw a lot of people online say it's nothing. What, what are we even talking about here? I don't believe that a player taking it on his own to go be a captain without being selected a captain is nothing. I especially don't believe that when you haven't played for six weeks and you all of a sudden are going to take it upon yourself to come back, play in this game, and then just line up as a captain without being selected one. To me, that's not a great look overall. Probably much ado about nothing if the next part doesn't happen. Even I, I shouldn't say that. I, I still think... like. That just, it, it reeks not necessarily being respectful of the decision of the head coach of who was captains in that game. And he seemed maybe upset that they didn't know he was from Carolina um, in that area and that he wanted to be a captain. There just seems, we talk about communication breakdowns on the field. There seems to be some very specific communication breakdowns off the field in some of these situations as well. Like I said, maybe it flies under the radar, but why this is such a big deal. I, I know, I think most people understand the kickoff rules and, and the, the coin toss rules. When you win the coin toss, you are not choosing, do you want to kick or do you want to receive? That is a common misconception of a lot of fans. You are choosing if you would like to kick or receive now, 
or if you'd like to defer your selection to the second half. If you win the toss and you say that you would like to kick, that means you would like to kick and that Carolina gets their choice in the second half, which means they choose to receive in the second half. So you choose to kick in the first half and Carolina chooses to receive in the second half, which means you kick off both halves. That has happened before. There has been situations where it has come up in the past. And you have to be very careful on how you communicate that. Now, kudos to Matt LaFleur for explaining to the officials prior to the game what he wanted to do. That is big time. Also, kudos on the officials for taking what Jair said and understanding in general what they probably wanted to do because there's not really a scenario in which you want to kick in both halves. But they could have taken that literally. And he said, we want to kick or we want to kick the ball off. We want to be on defense first. That was their decision. If they just took that at face value and said, all right, you're going to kick. Now Carolina gets the ball to receive in both halves. So to take over, be the captain, go and then call it the wrong way to the point where they could have legitimately lost a possession if the officials ruled it that way. And thankfully the officials were lenient. That could have been a whole heck of a lot worse. I'll say maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. The only thing that that matters to is the locker room. It doesn't matter to me. Shouldn't matter to you. Shouldn't matter to anyone else at this point. It's no harm, no foul. They got the call ultimately correct. But if that's an issue where a player is taking things on his own and just going to being a captain, and there's now frustration in the locker room of why those things are happening, those are just like, those are, I'm not saying it's even a red flag. It's, an, it's at least an orange flag. And when you've already had this weird vibe surrounding Jair, to that be your moment where you come back and just say, I'm going to be a captain. I'm not even going to tell the coaches. Then I'm going to be the one that decides what we're going to do. And you almost get it wrong. I don't think that's nothing. Whether it's something, again, I'll leave that up to you. And ultimately, that's ultimately up to the locker room. If that's something, that's up to Matt LaFleur and how he wants to handle that. But that is a very interesting situation, if nothing else. All right, some really quick ones. Uh, the Devontae Wyatt flag was insane. There is a live ball fumble that is going on. The Carolina Panther player, a millisecond before him, dives on the pile for the ball. No penalty. Devontae Wyatt, a second later, dives on the ball. Penalty. And that is, it was unbelievable. Like the ball is still live bouncing around. He did nothing remotely like aggressive on the play. To call a 15-yard penalty on that was it was one of the most dumbfounding penalties I've ever seen by an official. Just beyond crazy. Josiah DeGuara on the fumble recovery on his side, one of the biggest plays of Josiah's career. I know he had a really long uh, tight end screen from Jordan Love in against Detroit a couple years back. Had a big touchdown in the back of the end zone against Minnesota a couple years back but that was a big time fumble recovery and DeGuara kept working his way back to the ball or he would not have been in a position to get that fumble. So it was an awesome play by him. Preston Smith, sack and a half on the day. I thought he had one of the very few solid performances on defense. Again, we'll see what it looks like on the all 22, but a uh, big time sack. And then of course the half sack along with Quay Walker earlier in the game. Interesting, Matt LaFleur gave the entire team off on Monday and Tuesday. I had tweeted out that Matt LaFleur was initially supposed to speak on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. And then that is now no longer the case. They 
sent it out early on Sunday that he would speak on Tuesday. And then early or late on Sunday, they took it back and said, he won't be speaking Tuesday. Sounds like this is because, you know, because they gave the entire team um, off on Monday and Tuesday. So they'll reconvene Wednesday with a game against Minnesota on Sunday to try to keep their playoff hopes alive. It, not necessarily a, a wrong decision, but an interesting decision for a young team that's coming off a not necessarily great win against Carolina with playoffs still on the line. That's uh, two days off. He said they'll see him on Wednesday. So interesting decision there from Matt. The decision I did love, Rashid Walker, full-time left tackle in this game. Thought he played well at first glance, but as I've been talking about all week, I think for probably the past two weeks, it was time to stop that rotation. Rashid had clearly been the better player. He clearly won it and uh, awesome on them to, to recognize that as well and to make Rashid the uh, hopefully now full-time starter at left tackle, at least for the remainder of this season. From an injury standpoint, Dontavian Wicks goes out midway through the game and we'll see if um, you know he can come back this week. Well, it sounds like tests, uh, you know, x-rays were negative. It was a chest injury, but that will be one to monitor. Meanwhile, Tucker Kraft went out late in the game. Matt LaFleur did say that he was capable of going back in or was cleared to go back in to the game. And he didn't think it was going to be anything serious with Tucker, but that'll be another one to monitor through the course of this week. Of course, Packers-Vikings coming up this Sunday, a must-win for Green Bay, a must-win for Minnesota. Minnesota had some big injuries in their game. Jordan Addison left the game, did not return. TJ Hawkinson left the game and did not return. And DJ Wanham got carted off and did not return. Those are three big, big injuries for Minnesota that we'll want to monitor through the course of this week. And like I said, that will be a must win in Minnesota for the Packers and for the Vikings for both teams to try to keep their playoff hopes alive. As far as playoff chances go, per the New York Times simulator, uh, Green Bay now has a 28% chance to make the playoffs. So with some of the other results on Sunday, it did not boost their odds all that much. However, they are still a 94% chance to make the playoffs if they go 2-0 the rest of the season. So if they can do their side of things against Minnesota and against Chicago, they have a 94% chance to make the playoffs. Now, they do not hold destiny in their own hands. They are going to have to have some help. But again, per the New York Times, if they just take care of their own things, they are far more likely than not to ultimately make the playoffs. However, if they lose to Minnesota this week, they have a 1% chance to make the playoffs. So this is basically a playoff game, as will the Bears game be for the remainder of the year. They must win out and everything is must win for the remainder of the season. Green Bay is currently 10th in the NFC. And as I mentioned, they do not currently control their own destiny. As far as if you're looking on the other side of things, from a draft pick standpoint, they currently hold the 13th pick in the draft. It's getting harder and harder for them to get a top 10 pick. Even if they lose their last two, it would be pretty close. It would probably be right around that range, maybe somewhere between like eight and 12, I would say, but it's getting harder and harder based on their win percentage at this point. Uh, but it's theoretically possible. I should say mathematically possible. The highest they could get would be the fifth pick in the draft. That's not realistic in any way, shape, or form. Like I said, even if they lost out, you're maybe getting a top 10, and that might even still be a stretch depending on what happens to a lot of really bad teams over the course of these final two weeks. All right. I think that's going to cover it. I know it's a lot to take in today. I hope you're all enjoying your holiday. Shout out to our new Packaday podcast member, Robert Flatley. Of course, shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Shea Bradad, Arnaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, or MB1023. Thank you so much for being here. Your support means a ton to me. I hope you have a safe and happy holiday season. And of course, as always, Go Pack Go!